0: And by it, many become defiled, that no... Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching interviews. My goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. The churches. Welcome back to part two of Surviving Church Hurt. And last time we dealt mainly with leaders, people that we lauded, we looked up to in the body of Christ, who we studied under. And morally speaking, they somehow they failed us. And not necessarily something scandalous, but mismaking, sometimes making bad decisions. And so, you know, from uh, you know great men like say a Ravi Zacharias or a uh, Bill Gothard, uh, I attended the seminars. I went to advanced seminars. I Pushed a lot of his materials and some of his own thoughts and ideas. Although, let me say for the record, there's nobody that I, ha- I agree with 100%. That has never happened. So there were some things I did not I did question. Um, like uh, with Robbie Zacharias, I always question why he uses a lot of anecdotal stories and never went into the scriptures as, as in-depth as he should have. You ask him a question, he, started, he gives you about two or three stories. And then people clap, and you forget what the question was. And sometimes I was like, well, the question wasn't really answered, at least not for me. And with Bill Gothard, here's a guy telling you about how to, keep, how to, how to have a family and the structure of the family. Uh, but yet, here's a guy who had no family. And his context was that he wanted to remain single so that he could be like Paul. Well, Paul didn't uh, sexually harass women like he did, so there you go. Like I said, I normally don't name names on here. But for the sake of this, I want to get across to you that we all have clay feet. um, And just like you, some of the people you may be following are just off. And maybe you need to hear that from me that I followed people who were off. It happens to the best of us. I don't care how much scripture you know, because you can't know a person's motives. And you're not with people 24 hours a day. I don't know what they do when they're not around me. You don't know what I I do when when I'm not around you. And I don't know what you do when you're not around me. But, you know, we want to have some confidence in Christ and in our leaders. But they will sometimes, yes, let us down. And it it happens. It happens. So, you know, as in the case of... um, yeah, many others, so, and I can name a few more, but I'm, that's about all I'm going to mention for now. Um, but it it happens, okay? People have clay feet. Um, there are still people that I like, although most of them now are just podcasters and maybe not as big name as some of the people I just mentioned. Though I think some of them are on their way to that level, and I hope they stay true. But I will recommend, but I still recommend people, still people that I follow today and still people I recommend, because you can't, you can't climb into a shell, dig a hole, crawl into the ground, and just pretend like, uh, you know, uh, that's it. You, you got to just simply say, okay, Lord, we got clay feet. And the people that I follow now, I'm a lot wiser now. So, God forbid, I doubt that it will. But if it did, something did come up about them, it wouldn't shock me. I'd be like, all right, well, just one more on the list. Um, and that doesn't negate I don't cancel everybody either. You know, for example, uh. King David sinned in the Bible. God didn't remove him from being king. And in addition to that, he committed murder and adultery. In addition to that, we still read the life of King David. We still preach on it. So now, yes, I know David repented. We, I get that. That's something you're saying. But nonetheless, he messed up. When We don't cancel him. You're going to say, well, since David committed adultery and murder, I'm not going to read the Psalms anymore. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And so <clears throat> there are still truths that these men that I just mentioned, some good things that they did, and I still uh, use the good things that they did that were true, that were right. Um, and so you gotta sometimes separate the, sad to say, it shouldn't have to be, but you sometimes have to separate the ministry from the man. That it's possible to do, be doctrinally right, correct all your theological ducks in a row. You could be the most biblically accurate person on the planet. But if you lack character, you can still be doing things on the down low. You can still hold on to uh, misogynistic views, and you can still hang on to racism. And you see this rampant in the church. I could run down a whole list of of people that I know people, you know, love to follow, uh, both in modern times and in ancient times. And if I told you some of the things that they did, you'd freak out. You'd be like, what, really? They did that? You know. A lot of these healing evangelists, these early Pentecostal evangelists, they were part of the KKK, Ku Klux Klan. They were racist. They were gangster in how they ran their churches. Um, So, yeah, it it happens. And it's it's not in... Ethnicity has nothing to do with it. There are good preachers and there are bad preachers. There are good cops, there are bad cops. There are good presidents, there are bad presidents. There are... Uh, you know, good teachers, there are bad teachers. It's it's in every profession all the way around because man is fallen. And so what we're going to talk about, what I'm really trying to tell you is how to survive church hurt. And the the deepest wounds usually come when the leadership kind of lets you down. And uh, so we're going to give you some tips here. And yes, we're going to get back to the scripture. Hang on. I know I haven't, didn't do any scripture last time. And... Um, but we're going to get back to it. But I have to lay this down here so we can, when we get into the scriptures, we can um, we can really see how God uh, wants us to react. And like I told you in the book of Revelations, God, God appeals to the individual. You know, I'm not responsible for what the, the leader of a church does. I'm not responsible for what bishops or pastors or elders or, you know, deacons, I'm not responsible for what these men do. I'm only responsible for my own relationship between God and myself. And so in spite of what they do, you're not going to be punished for what they've done. You're only going to be punished for what you do what you do or don't do or rewarded for what you do, and they'll be rewarded for what they do. That's it. And since I can't control the pulpit and I can't control what's going on at the top, uh I pray for them, that's why, that's another reason why you pray for your leadership, you pray to God, keep them, because they're just like you, the same temptations you face, they face exactly the same things, and some of them are weaker than you in certain areas, just like you're weaker than them in certain areas, so we have to pray for one another. That's what we need to do, so that we can stay strong, and we can survive, and we can get through. So, having said that, let's take a little look here. And some things we can do to survive. Uh church hurt. In the Bible, when Jesus sent out his apostles, uh two by two, I believe it's in the tenth chapter of Matthew, he says, Therefore, be wise, he said, I send you out a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We always emphasize the harmless as doves part. But I'd like to say There are two sides to that equation. You got to, and just as much as we should be harmless as doves, we need to be wise as a serpent, as as smart and crafty as the devil. Not in the evil way, but in the way that, you know, hey, game recognize game. You know, you see things and you're like, okay, I see what's going on. Or you have to learn how to maneuver around the world and just use a little bit of wisdom. For example, when the high priest struck um, Paul, and they were going to arrest him and try him. Well, Paul, being wise as a serpent, said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't try me. You can't treat me like this. You can't just execute me. I'm a Roman citizen. So he played the Roman citizen card. You play the card. you take the cards you dealt, and you play them when it's time, when the time comes. Hey, whoa, whoa hold up. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. I appealed to Caesar. So, they have to, so, they, so at, at their expense, Paul made it to Rome. He didn't have to spend any money to get there. It's a bumpy ride still, but he was wise as a servant. He ended up in Rome. And he got to do what he wanted to do. And he talked about the 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 evidently he, he converted some people because there were some converts in Rome because of Paul. Because he right inside of Caesar's household, some of Caesar's household converted to Christ. So that's the kind of impact Paul had, even though he ended up in prison, their bonds and imprisonment awaited him. Still, God used him to reach all the way into Caesar's household uh, to bring converts out of there. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, wise, as serpents and harmless as doves. That's, that's the first thing you have to be. Don't be, and I, I think I ended last time, I talked about not being a passive listener. When it comes to the area of teaching and doctrine, etc., pay attention to what's being said from the pulpit. Um, depending on the type of church that you're in, if you're probably in a Pentecostal setting, that's kind of hyper-Pentecostal, because all Pentecostal churches are not are not doctrinally unsound. Um, but we have a lot of hyper-charismatic, charismania going on now in our Pentecostal churches. And so... Um, if you're in a church and you're you know you need to actively listen to what's being said, and you'll probably hear some things that are kind of weird or off. I'm not telling you to leave the church. I'm just simply saying, eat the meat, spit out the bone. That's all I'm saying. And so you say, "Oh, pastor, minister, well, no, I'm not eating that." You know, it's like it's like like when you like, go to a buffet, everything's laid out, but some of the food, you look at the food and like, "Oh no, people have been putting their hands in this. Now this isn't good for me." And you pick out the things that you, not just what you like, but also things that are good for you. And, but there's some things that you refuse. No, I'm not eating that. Not today. I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat this. Because you can't eat everything. Right? So you have to be selective in what you, just like you have to be selective with what you put into your body. Right? You have to be selective as to what you feed your spirit and what you feed your soul and certain things that come across the pulpit that is just pure and utter nonsense. You need to have enough discernment to say, no, that's not biblical. I'm not accepting that. And it doesn't, care, it doesn't matter who says it, whether it's me or anybody else. It doesn't matter. You vet us. If it doesn't line up with scripture, you have 100% right to reject it. I don't care if they got bishop, apostle, or, 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 or um, prophet in their name. God's not going to kill you and come get you because you rejected something they said that was unbiblical. That was either unbiblical or ungodly. You don't have to eat it. So be discerning. Be, be, turn on your, put on your, when I go to church, my critical thinking cap is on. That's right. I apply critical thinking to every sermon, to every, every message, every aspect of the service. I'm analyzing. And, and worshiping and I yes, I'm still worshiping God at the same time. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. It's possible. So be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Now, some people are doctrinally sound, and they're really good, but one of the things that you'll find in those types of churches is A, a lack of compassion. They're not very compassionate towards other people. So they'll look at something like civil rights and they'll look at that and say, oh, well, you know, that's not the gospel. Uh, we Christians shouldn't be involved in civil rights. It's amazing. The same people who are against civil rights, are the same people fighting and protesting for the civil rights of the unborn. How, how about that? So I, thought, I said, well, I thought you weren't supposed to have a fight for civil rights. And we're going to do, do a whole podcast on, on why Christians should be actively involved in civil rights. Uh, because a lot of these theologians, they miss it. Well, that's not, that's not the gospel. I am involved in civil rights. And at the same time, I preach the gospel. Walk and chew gum at the same time. You can do both. It's not the end of days. And I'll explain to you why I say that. And every civil rights leader, and that doesn't mean I run behind every civil rights leader or I jump on the bandwagon with every issue. There's certain things that I that are, that are in the civil rights movement that I reject because I am a Christian, but not everything. And when it comes to fighting for things on the proper basis, I'll make a stand on that. But again, we'll, we'll deal with that another a little later. And, and there are plenty of people that would disagree with me, and that's okay. That's okay. Eat the meat, spit out the bone. They don't agree with me. I don't agree with them either. I'm not going to go to war with them over it. They're Christian brothers and sisters. And I would still recommend you listen to their podcast, although they probably tell you don't listen to me no more. But that's okay. But I will tell you to go listen to them anyway, even though I disagree with them, because they're preaching a solid gospel. But I just think that civil rights is a part of that. And again, I'll I'll lay out my reasons why I think Christians need to be active in terms of uh, civil rights, and what I mean by being active. But for now we'll just leave it, I'll just leave it right there and leave you wondering. that'll make you come back again, I suppose um, But you know you want to learn from past mistakes that you've made, like I've learned over the years now that people that I lauded and I, I quoted and you know um, and you know quoted for sermons and stuff like that. You know, I, I I still do some things if it's true and it's, it's applicable to the sermon, but I don't, um, I've lowered them off, the, I've taken them off the pedestal. In fact, right now, I have, there's no one on the pedestal now but Jesus. And that's cool. That's the way it should have been. I was wrong for letting people get on the pedestal. You know, they were still on the pedestal. You know, Jesus had the highest one, but they were still on the pedestal. But now I've taken everybody off the pedestal. There are no more pedestals. It's just a matter of good teaching, good whatever. And when they're right, they're right, and I'll go with it. And when they're wrong, I'll just say, no, can't go with that. But I don't reject them altogether either. Okay, so that's the, uh, so learn from past mistakes. Not put people on pedestals and uh, turn people into celebrities. That's one of the problems in the church. And we're Americans, so we buy into capitalism we mix our faith with capitalism. We mix our faith with celebrityism, and we like our celebrities. We like our, and some celebrities are really good at what they do. Their 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 ability to perform is overwhelming. And you know, particularly let's take the music industry for example. Um, you know, the the ability to to sing and to write music. That, man, what a God given gift that is, and and. um you know, but yet, they, you know, a lot of them just ain't living right. But they, but they're they're gifted. So I so I'm not going to deny that they're gifted, and they're capable musicians and songwriters and singers and entertainers they know how to perform. I I get it. I get it. You know. So, but I can separate. I can I can appreciate their craft and their art and their abilities while at the same time not agreeing with their lifestyle or supporting it or substantiating it, thinking, well, this is okay for people to live like this. So you can do both at the same time. It's like all this walking and chewing gum at the same time. But celebrityism. So we don't, we have our celebrities, our heroes, so to speak, whether it's heroes of the faith or heroes in the world or wherever, uh, heroes in history. But That can lead us down a dark path because we got people on pedestals and then we get disappointed when they let us down. So take them off the pedestals, recognize their gifts and their talents and say, okay, this is what the contributions they made. And then move on from there. But don't, don't put them on a pedestal. So, number two. Uh, I mentioned it already, discerning what comes across the pulpit by being an active listener. Number three, lower your expectations. Why do we demand perfection from imperfect people? Just because a person has a title behind their name does not now mean that, you know, they're they're there, they've arrived. Um, I had a missionary friend of mine once told me, he said, you know, um, they thought that once they went to Bible school, you know, they would, you know, all that teaching and time in the Bible and prayer, that they're, they be more sanctified. And when they were done with Bible school, they weren't that any more sanctified. They were still the same person they always were, so to speak. I'm sure they grew spiritually, but, you know, they didn't reach the level of some type of perfection that they thought they would be at. So he said, when I get to the mission field, and he got to the mission field, and some of the same weaknesses and problems still persisted while he was on the mission field. And then he realized, after a while, Bible college, titles, becoming a missionary, becoming a pastor, becoming whatever, doesn't change you. It's in work of in the, the only change that's, that's viable is the work of the Holy Spirit. And... It doesn't matter what your title is. That's not what makes sanctifies you. Now, yeah, you should be, if you're going to hold the office of a bishop or a pastor, you should be uh, meet the biblical qualifications. Absolutely. Uh, but having said that, um, they still have clay feet. So lower your expectations. Stop demanding perfection from imperfect people. It's just not going to happen. They're not perfect. Look at yourself, you ain't perfect. and How would you like people to demand perfection from you 24-7? Knowing good and well, you can't do that. I can't do that. Okay? So lower your expectations. So when people exceed your expectations, you're pleasantly surprised. But if you, if you have high expectations, and when they don't meet your high expectations, now you're disappointed, disillusioned, want to leave the church, and, you know, what's going on and how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Amen. So let's continue on here. The other thing I wanted us to do, in, in the same area of lowering our expectations... Have some grace when you see a leader's flaws and their shortcomings. Give him some grace. Jesus. You know, again, I'm not talking about extremes where there's abuse or sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. Those types of things where they're just being criminal. Then the church has to deal with them and deal with them severely, uh, you know, swiftly. Um, really that's the wrong word you have to deal with them justly and by justly I mean justice means you get what you deserve Um if a pastor or a bishop is abusing the sheep beating the sheep if he's fleecing the sheep taking their money uh, for his own personal gain if he's um sexually molesting the sheep, uh, harassing the sheep, then he needs to be uh, removed from his position. And depending on whether, like, and if, he's, if he's actually uh, sexually harassing anyone, he needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We forgive you. We love you. There's two things in operation here. The grace of God forgives. So we, we have to forgive. But the government of God rolls on. And the government of God says, whatever you sow, that also must you reap. You sow to the flesh, you must reap uh, corruption. So there has to be justice. The books have to be balanced. And so the government calls for, for, for balancing the books. We obey the government. You're going to jail. Um, that's, it's just that simple. So, I'm not, But I'm not talking about those extremes. I'm just talking about, you see, he just has flaws. He may, he may have told a lie, or he may, although he shouldn't. The preacher's embellished, too. You know, we preach, and we, we it's like, the, you ever heard, like, the fish story, the one that got away? Now, the fish they caught was six inches long. But the next time you tell the story, it's eight inches, and it's two feet, three feet. And before you know it, they literally were wrestling a whale. Yeah, to bring it to shore. That's what I mean by preachers tend to embellish this. They kind of blow the stories up or exaggerate somewhat. And it happens. I've heard preachers exaggerate. I'm like, okay, that's an exaggeration. Um, And it's it's easy to do. You get in the pulpit. I've been in the pulpit and I've said things and I catch myself like, why did you say that? And I wasn't lying or anything. It's just, uh, you know, maybe I put a little bit too much spice on it. That type of thing. So that's not good. That's not good. So you have to catch yourself. I remember years ago, I was I think I mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. I was teaching a Bible study when I was on the mission field, and I didn't realize how often I was saying, and the Lord showed me, and God spoke to me, or God showed me this. So one of the, the sisters got up and she asked me a question. She said You're concerning she said, You keep saying God is talking to you. What does that mean? Now it was an honest question, because in her mind, she's like, "I want that too. I mean, God's talking to you like that. I want God to talk to me too, you know?" And I realized God was not talking to me as in an audible voice. What I was really doing, I was taking my intuitive, my intuition that turned out like somebody have an intuition or you, you make a right move, you make a good decision. And, you know, you want to give God glory for that. But I took it to the extreme. Instead of just simply, I give God glory because I was I made some decisions. And yes, God did guide me. Yes, the intuition. I believe all that comes from God when we make right choices and do good things. But it's not like God gave me an audible voice. And so what I should have said, instead of saying God spoke to me or God showed me, I would, the better thing to me have said is, you know, um, I believe God providentially guided me in this particular area, but it 's more it 's more divine providence than actually hearing an audible voice and God telling you make a left turn here in this street it 's just so much intuition intuition that turns out to be right or or thought that comes into your head. you know I think when those things come in when you 're trying to make decisions and and you get it right, I think that 's God helping you. You know, helping your brain to work, helping your intuition. God give us into gave human beings int- intuition, uh, just like the animals have intuition. You know, if you're ever at the beach, and you see all the animals heading to the mountains, you need to go run right behind them because there's probably a tsunami coming in. But they're sometimes more sensitive than humans, they're more in tune, and the intuition says, "Oh, time to get out of here." There's a whole big wave coming crashing in here. So, they, you know, you see them running to Buffalo and everybody's taking off in for the hills. You're like, "Well, time to get out of here. Something's going on. Um, in the same way, in the same way, God has, has given to us, I believe, God has given to us intuition. And sometimes you intuitively just do something. I don't know if you've ever been going down a street and, you know, something just tells you don't go there or, Make, don't, you know, don't go to that party, don't go, and, and then later on you find out somebody got shot or something happened right around that same time. I believe that's, that's intuition that God gives us, that's a God-given gift, and if we react intuitively to certain things. Now sometimes, my intuition is wrong, that's the problem, it's not 100%, so don't get me wrong here, imagine this thing is 100%. But I'm just trying to make the point about how I, when I kept saying God was speaking to me, I'm talking about when the the intuition is right, when the thought is a correct thought. I attribute those to God helping me and making my intuition and making my brain work the way it's supposed to so I can make the good, the proper decisions. Um, Obviously, if I make the wrong decisions or my intuition is wrong, that definitely wasn't God. Okay, and that's what I meant. So I had to explain that to her. And so as a preacher, I stopped saying God showed me God is speaking. I just tamped it down. Sometimes I do fall back into it and I catch myself don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say that. You know, find another way of saying it without, because people are going to start thinking you're hearing audible voices or somehow God is, you have some special relationship with God. He's talking to me on a level he's not talking to you, that kind of stuff. I, I don't get it like that. Now, some people say that they do. I don't. I don't disbelieve them. I, you know, I said, like, okay, fine. You know, God's talking to you like that. That's good. But I'm not going to make up something and say God's talking to me like that. You know, um, in, that, in that manner. Uh, I have, I've never had that. Okay. So, when you see your leader, that's what I'm So, getting back to what I was saying. So I said all that to say is that leaders embellish and sometimes they're preaching and they, you know, might stretch it just slightly. You know, and so the story is true, but they stretched it just a little bit, you know, and sometimes they do that because they're trying to get a rise out of the people to get some impact, you know, and, um, and, and they well meaningly trying to glorify God. They stretch it a little bit, but um, <clears throat> don't, don't freak out. It's okay. Now, I mean, it's not, it's not a heaven hell issue. I, I tell my kids, don't die on every hill, everything. You don't have to battle everybody in every point. There are a lot of doctrines that I hear flying around in the church that I don't agree with. But I'm not going to die on every hill. I'm not going to go to war on every point, on every dot and every T. Every dot has, I has to be dotted, every T has to be crossed. Because everybody's at a different place and some people just ain't there yet. They don't see it. Just like I had to go through my metamorphosis, I had to learn to grow and to change. I have changed some of my views over the years. Things that I preached years ago, I I don't do it anymore because at, you know, what I, I believed at 22, I'm at 63 now. I've grown, I've matured, and God has shown me some things. And God has helped bring correction in my life providentially. Again, not audible voices, but providentially as studying and staying in the Word. And I've grown through that and I realize, okay, that's that's not how this works. Okay, so... You know, we all have a little bit of error in the process. Don't beat your leaders up for it, and don't beat other saints up for it, and don't beat yourself up for it. We're all learning. We're all growing. Nobody, none of us, knows everything that, that can possibly be known. We can't. Okay, so we're all in a growth process. So give room for people to grow. Don't say, oh, man, your all, he's a No, he's not going to hell. He's not going to burn. None of that's going to happen. He's just not there yet. God has led you here, and that person just hasn't been led in that area. And there's other areas that person is accurate, and you're inaccurate at. God has, and they, they're going to have to have mercy with you. And say, well, all right, let me just take my time. You know, I used to get frustrated because I would teach a Bible study or something, and it's like nobody understood, and they'd go right back to what they were doing before. I'm like, did anybody hear what I just said? But I learned over a period of time, it takes time for people to get it. So they have to teach by repetition, line upon line, precept upon precept. You just got to take your time with people because people just, they, they hear things. I can, I've preached whole sermons, and I've said the sky is blue, and when people came back, they thought I said the sky was red. People have quoted me, and it was a misquote. I'm like, I, just, I didn't say that. Or they'll say I said something and then misinterpret what I said. And I'm like, that's not what I meant. I did say that, but that's not what I meant. That wasn't the context in which I said it. Because the person may have been, you know, reaching for an apple or something when I was preaching. And they only heard the end part. They didn't hear the rest of it. And I've done that myself. So again, lower your expectations. And then have some grace when you see flaws and weaknesses in people. And be patient. You know, I used to have a zero tolerance for rude children. I mean, I, I was like, I don't know why these parents don't tighten these kids up and why they let their kids be rude to adults and disrespectful. Until I had my own kids. And I discovered something. When the children are yours, there's a God-given grace. I believe it is God-given grace that you have patience with your children. I'm talking about normal folks. I'm talking about these abusers and crazy, crazy town people out here. I'm talking about normal, average individuals. You have a grace and a patience for your children that you don't have for anybody else. And you're not supposed to, because they're not yours. But don't you worry about them. Let, Let their parents handle that. Your responsibility is to handle yours. But I found I had a grace and a patience with my own kids on a level that I never thought, I didn't think was possible for me to have dealing with children. So what I'm saying here, is have grace and patience with folk. It's like you let your, pa- you your, your, your see your kids and you see them, you know, going making a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn, or the baby's not doing it quite the way you told the baby to do it. You don't get mad and start screaming at the baby. It's a baby, you know? It's two years old, it's one years old. Well, you, you don't expect the baby to get up and start doing, uh, you know, writing a symphony or something. It's, it's one year old, so you're patient. They are not there yet. Teenagers, you know, they yeah, they think they know everything. That's the age when they think they know everything and they're smarter than you. But you're patient. You're patient, because you and your wife have seen the movie already. The wife and husband, know, the parents have already seen the movie. The kids think that the movie is new. It's new to them, but you already And so you can tell the kid pretty much <laughs> what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen next. This is how it's going to end. But they think, okay, yeah, but I can beat it. Right? And then, you know, you are looking at them like, yeah, everybody thinks they can beat it, but, you know, it's the Kobayashi Maru. For those Trekkies out there, that's called the no-win scenario. But they think like Captain Kirk, they can beat the no-win scenario. I can cheat it. Okay, so, but have the grace for people. I so, said all that to say, have grace. Have grace. Have grace for people. Don't uh, just be patient. See, but don't see. Hear, but don't hear. Sometimes I see things, and I'm like, okay, they're not there yet. And in time, into whether it be intuitively, you'll have a sense of when the right time is. And depending on the depth of your relationship with the individual, whether you want to confront them or not. You know, if it's if we're really good friends or something like that, and we have a closer relationship, I may say something. But if somebody that's i just see in church and they're an acquaintance and we don't have that depth of relationship i better not say anything just right now you know and you wait you know timing is everything when you want to give correction or something um but again you don't want to you want to have grace and patience with people okay what happens when they hurt me? What happens when they do something that's offensive to me? They're not just doing some things that are wrong or doctrinally off. But now I'm offended. You you hurt me. And you're not going to like this answer. (laughs) But it's a common one. And that is um, going to God for for grace to help. That's what a scripture we read earlier in Hebrews 12 chapter. I believe it's just down in verse 5. But that's what we do. We forgive. We go to God. We get. We, we, we seek the grace of God because that's one way you're going to forgive. You can't forgive without the grace of God. It's not going to happen. You you go to God for grace to help. Lord, help me, Jesus, because this, I've been hurt. I've been offended. I've been wounded. I've been abused. The church has, has, has not done me right. And now I need to... But I know you've called me to forgive, and I don't want a root of bitterness. Because the idea is what you want to do is protect your heart. The Bible says guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So protect your heart. You don't want it to become bitter. And bitterness is frozen rage. It's like, it's all right to have the rage initially. You uh, you know, that type of thing. The rage will come. You just don't act on it. You don't kill anybody. But the rage is going to come. But then you've got to process that rage to where it, it, it comes and you it passes. Just like a, like when your stomach is upset and you got to go to the bathroom. You don't keep the fecal matter in your stomach. You, you evacuate it evacuated out of your body. It gets all the poisons and everything else. Got to go. So the rage comes and, and then you purge that rage, so to speak. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. The rage has to be purged. And that's where forgiveness comes in. That's how you purge that rage. But you got to go to God for grace. Because it's not natural to get rid of it. You want You want, when somebody hurts you or harms you... You want to boil your fists up and retaliate. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. And we just go, we're going to stand here and go toe to toe. That's all that's going to happen. Win, lose, or draw. But I'm going to get some of my licks into. Well, that's human nature. Whereas God says, all right, you've got the rage. It's there. You need to come to me for grace. I don't want you to boil your fists up and go toe to toe with the individual. I want you to go to me, come to me for some grace, and then forgive. That individual, which is one of the things that you have to learn how to do. And then as you give that forgiveness to that individual, God will set you free. And so because you don't want that bitterness, which is frozen rage, it's that rage, but it's frozen and you can't let it go. And I think, you know, you soft and gooey in the beginning, but eventually it becomes rock hard, not cool. Finally, let me say this. And again, this was not an exhaustive study. You can write to me, rhyd12001 at com if you have any questions or comments. And uh, because a lot more things I can say in depth. Most of these podcasts are not in depth. It's just to kind of get you to, just like I said, create some conversations. Let me say this. We... followers of Jesus Christ and it's interesting that we we say God is above all but it's interesting how easily we bow down to man when man is in violation of the laws of God I do not advocate insurrections in churches I don't believe you should have an insurrection in your church I don't believe overthrowing your pastor Because so many people, people take things like this, and any little grievance they have, I don't like him, I I think he's this way. No, you have no evidence, you have no proof. And then you spread rumors and lies, by insurrection I mean you spread rumors and lies about your leader, and that's outright wrong. Unless you have hard evidence, and then at that point, um, the Bible says rebuke not an elder. Uh, There's a proper way to do that in church discipline and you might go to some of the leadership and make your case but make sure you have evidence and you have proof get your facts straight don't talk to anyone else just keep it to yourself and then you talk to the leadership in the church those are the, the elders and you kind of go from there um and do it prayerfully very prayerfully um and people say, well, why, why don't you bring it to the leader himself? Well, it depends on the, the infraction, because sometimes you take it to the leader himself, and before you know it, he gets to the elders and everybody else before you do. And then, you know, because he's human, he's going to protect himself. He's going to twist the story up too. So um, sometimes it's best to uh, very prayerfully ask God how to do it. And um, I, you're not going to hear an audible voice someone i say like let god lead you i might say god's gonna come and say oh yeah go over here and talk to bill about it uh you talk to god about it first obviously you always go to god first you always give grace and give the benefit of the doubt maybe i'm maybe i'm misunderstanding something maybe i'm not hearing right but you should be part of a church it's very suspect when you're part of a church and you have questions and you and you ask the leadership questions and, and you can't you know you're automatically labeled as an insurrectionist because you asked a question, something that you weren't sure about. A lot of times, people just want clarity. Everybody's not an insurrectionist. We just want clarity and better understanding. I, I saw, or I heard something. I'm not so sure, uh, you know, um, about that. And so you may go to the pastor or the leadership, so to speak. However, your church has said, everybody has different church governments. Um and you go to those individuals and you sit down with them and, you, and you, you, you you talk, you know, openly and frankly. But be ready. Be ready to get blowback. Just saying, if you're going to do that, you're going to get blowback. It's human nature. The first time somebody's accused of something, they're going to go into defensive mode. Everybody does it. Uh, I do it. You do it. We all do it. You know, and then hopefully the person mature enough, after a while, they'll think about it. And then they'll come back a second time a third and, you know, kind of. Start to tell you what's really happening, um, but this is what happens. So just just be ready for blowback as well, because it's not, you know, every, everything doesn't end well. This is not, you know, you know, you see these sitcoms on TV, and they create a problem and they solve it in thirty minutes, and everybody's happy at the end. Yeah, life just don't work like that. <laughs> it gets ugly and it can get messy real fast. Yeah, and and sometimes you're hurt and you go to the leadership to get some understanding, to find out what's going on, and, or to relate to them, you know, you really hurt me when you did X, Y, Z. And instead of them pouring in the oil and wine, they hurt you even more. They beat you down. Because when they're done with you, you're the problem. You need to get yourself together. And it's your fault. And then the elders may, you know, depending on their loyalty to the leader, they're going to they're pile on. Yeah, so... I'm just saying, get ready. <laughs> and so you may just be in a situation, a no-win scenario, uh, Kobe Ashmore, where it's just an no, outright a no-win scenario. And that's when you need grace to help. You need God's forgiveness, and that's why you have to lower your standards. And sometimes, you, once you see there's a once you're stonewalled like that, and you're not going to get anywhere, then you at that point you return, you go back to God, and you put it in God's hands. And you keep living your Christian life, keep growing, keep studying the Word of God, and keep doing what you need to do to grow and to mature in God. And you know, you may have to avoid certain people to avoid being hurt again. And you know, and that 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 happens until you're, you're mature enough to handle it, or until God directs you as to what you want, what He wants you to do. Intuitively, people, I'm not, you're not going to hear an audible voice. Um, you know, if you're going to read the scriptures. You're going to try to follow the scriptures. Is what it says, and then, you know, as time goes on, God will show you what you need to do. Fortunately, we live in a time, I know I started off by saying you couldn't just jump ship over and over again. You don't want to become a spiritual vagabond. I don't advocate running from church to church to church to church to church. You don't want to become a spiritual vagabond. However, when it comes to your health and your sanity, and you find you just can't, every time you look at the pulpit, you're bitter. You may need to step away from that church to heal. You may need to take a leave of absence. I'm not saying to leave the church. You may have to take a leave of absence. But do whatever you have to do to protect your immortal soul. And that involves stepping away from the church, outright leaving it, and simply um, finding some place where the oil and wine will be poured in, then by all means do so. And let God heal you, let God grow you to where you can forgive what the last church did to you. Because you want to get to that place. You don't want to keep that grudge for a, it's not a lifetime thing. You shouldn't be hanging to there for a lifetime. And when you reach that place and you process everything, because everything is a process. And you're there, then you can move on. And you may or may not re- decide to return to that church. Uh, and, you know, the average church in America, the pastor survives, like, what, five years, I think, five to seven years is average. Now, the African-American church, we tend to be more loyal to our leaders, so we keep them, like, forever. You know, the guy's coming, and he's coming into the pulpit, and he's on a walker or a wheelchair, and we still, you know, he's still there. That's how loyal we are. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's how loyal we are in, in a lot of our churches. So, but as a whole, if you... When you look at the total number of churches in the average lifespan of a pastor, is seven years. So depending on the type of church that you're in, they ain't going to be there forever anyway. I've seen one a couple of churches out here in my community. It seems like every year they've got a new pastor. I'm like, what is this? They just keep turning them over left and right, um, which that's not good either. I don't think when you're turning over people that fast. And then some organizations have it. They move their pastors around. So he may pastor a church here for three years. And then every three years, they move, they shift. They do like a musical chair, so to speak, thing. And they just move, move you to a different spot. You know, we're human beings. We're trying to do church government. Everybody has different forms, different ways of doing it. Um, there are strengths and weaknesses with every form of church government. Uh, you know, so... Uh, Just decide what you can live with. For example, in Pentecostal churches, in African American Pentecostal churches, we tend to centralize the power in one man. The pastor's power is absolute and supreme on everything. Well, that's fine if you get a good pastor. But if he goes off the rail and he has absolute power and you can't get rid of him, yeah, see, (laughs) you're going to have a problem. Um, I... Gravitate more. I more believe in a plurality of leadership, the, the Presbyterian model where the elders, where you have plurality of leadership and there are elders that run the church. And the pastor is the main Bible teacher, but he's not necessarily the chairman of the board. He's not really necessarily uh, has the power to be in charge of everything that the church does. It has to be a plurality of leadership. And Because of human corruption, I'm a proponent of checks and balances. I can become corrupted. Anybody can become corrupted. And so we have to have checks and balances on each other. Somebody has to check us and say, well, what are you doing? You know, that type of thing. However, the downside of a plurality of leadership is that as the pastor is trying to lead the flock and he's preaching and teaching, the elders don't like something he he preaches on. They can try to curtail what he preaches on. You know or control the song service and control you know what's what comes across the pulpit. That's not good either you do not want elders you don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn um, so th- that that can be a bad thing as well or you get you know some elders that are jealous of the leader because he's he's gifted and God's using him greatly and you got some that think maybe I should be the pastor. And then they can lead a coup d'etat and try to overthrow you. See, that's on the side of a plurality of leadership. See, I don't care what form of church government you pick. They're going to have their strengths, and they're going to have their weaknesses. Um, one of the things that I—it's a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses. But anyway, one of the things that, that they do in their churches— I believe their congregations are no more than 200, 250. I believe that's about the, their limit. They might have more in some, uh, so don't quote me on this. But I believe they have a certain amount of people in their congregation. Then once the congregation reaches a critical mass, which for them would be the two anything over 250, so let's say go up to 500, they divide. And they start a new congregation somewhere else. Why do they do this? It keeps it keeps this way. No particular church gets more power than the others. We all have the same amount of people. Whereas you have in the assemblies of God, or in other churches, I can be in an organization, and some assemblies of God churches have thirty people in it, and then the other one in the district has forty thousand people in it. So who's going to have more influence in the district? The one with forty thousand because he's bringing in the most money to the organization as opposed to the guy with 30. So the guy with 30 may have a good idea or something he might see that needs to change, but because he only has 30 members and he's not bringing in a lot of money, the organization ignores his idea, and he may be right. Whereas the guy that got 40000 he may have a bad idea, take them in the wrong direction, but because he's bringing in the most of the money, he's got 40,000 people, we're not going to ignore him. See, and so that's the downside of that, letting some churches grow out of control as the elders uh, that are smaller. And so then the power balance in the church is, is, is jacked up. Then you've got the organizations that, you know, everything is the Holy Ghost is going to show me. We don't have any leader except the Holy Ghost. But the problem with that is everybody saying the Holy Ghost is talking to me. What happens when I say the Holy Ghost is showing me this and the other guy says the Holy Ghost is showing me that? And they're contradictory terms. Well, the Holy Ghost is telling us to go to the left. No, the Holy Ghost is telling me to go to the right. Well, now we got a problem. How do we know whether it's the Holy Ghost or not? Now, yeah, you can go to the scriptures, but then people end up sword fighting with the scriptures. So, there you go. We live in a fallen and imperfect world is what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to show you that the church is just not perfect. And no matter how hard we try, we are not the perfecters of the faith. Christ is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. Christ is the one who's going to get us there. And the Holy Spirit is going to get us there, I'm I'm sure. How he's going to do it, I have no idea how he's going to get us there. But I promise you that he will. But in forms of church government, you're 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 not going to get perfection. That's why I said about lowering your standards. Your expectations, not your standards. Please keep your standards high. But lower your expectations of other people. Now here's the thing. Well, can I just stay home, Brother Ryman, and just not go to church at all? No, can't do it. Let me explain this to you. The church was God's idea. Now, God looked at history, and now he saw all this. God saw all the problems in the church, all the head butting, the sheep, goats, the fights, the abuses. God saw all of that, and he still created an entity called the church. Because the church is a, to be a community. I've done this before in one of the uh, earlier podcasts. I went over two two segments, two episodes on on the church. You can scroll back and you can find them but' I'm, I'm going to redo it again. I'm going to redo some of those things again. but the church is a, is to be a community of believers that's supposed to be an expression of God in, to, to reflect God in the earth to the people around us, just like Israel was supposed to do the same thing, and you see where see how that works. <laughs> So why do you think the church is going to be any better? We're not going to get, we're not going to get any better than, than what they did, because you got human beings in there, and they're all at different levels, and God knows this. And yet God brings us together to blend us into the into a community. Iron sharpening iron, we'll become where we become a people's. Now what was one of the good things of the old churches in the South. You know because church would be all day. And what would they do? They'd have the service and then they'd, they'd, have, they'd go out and they cook and spend some more time together. So people would actually spend more time together with each other in the church. Now, yes, was there drama? Yes, was there adultery? Yes, was there abuse? Yeah, all that went on. But a lot of good things came out of it too. And what I'm trying to tell you is not 100% bad. There's just for every bad thing you can tell me, there's something good that has come out of that. Okay, so this is what happens. Now you say to Brother Rymer, why is this? Because a sower went forth to sow, the Bible says. And the sower dropped in some good seed. But when they got up in the morning, they found that there were some tares coming up out of the ground, along with the wheat. And they asked the master, where did these tares come from? We sowed wheat. He said, an enemy has done this. So the devil, yes, yes, hear it. The devil sows tares in the church. Everybody in the church that you're sitting in is not wheat. Some of them are tares. And that's one of the reasons why you have the beauty. And sometimes the tare makes it all the way to the pulpit and gets a title and gets ordained. Bishop, apostle, prophet. He's a tare. But you can't tell to, to tell them apart. Tares and wheat look the same until it comes to the harvest time, to fruition. Once they grow fully out, then you see, oh, there's the, the wheat, there's the tares. So until the time of the harvest. But he said, what is, what's the answer? What's God's answer to that? Let the tares and the wheat grow together. You're not going to get the tares out of the church, people. You can't burn them out. You can't dynamite them out. You're not getting them out. They're there. Deal with it. Now what's going to happen? The time of the harvest. The angels will be sent out. They'll gather the wheat into the barn. And the tares will be gathered up and they will be burned with unquenchable fire. The separation of tares and wheat in the church, that's God's job. You're never going to get rid of the tares. But God still commands us to be part of the church. We're still part of God's community. And we grow. And you have to grow right in front of the tares. Even if they're in the pulpit, even if it's the choir director, even if it's the lead singer and the choir director. Doesn't matter. Let them grow together. Because if we try to separate the tears from the wheat now, in the process, you may pull up some of the wheat. Oops, mistake. In other words, God says, you don't have the skill set to separate wheat, to where it from wheat. I don't have the skill set. First of all, I don't even know who is tare and who is wheat. I don't know. Can't tell by looking. And sometimes both of them have the same problem. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going into heaven, but he that does the will of my father. Lord, in that day, many will say to me, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. For I never, never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Yeah, how about that? So yes, you can't separate chasms, but Jesus knows who they are. The Holy Spirit knows who they are. My job is to be part of the church. That's what I call it. It's a difficult thing. It's a rough road. There are fights, there are struggles, there's hurt, there's pain. All of that comes in church, and yet God still commands us to stay in the church and to be part of that community and my job I can't control what other people do but my job is to reflect Christ to those around me that's my job and when I fail and when you fail because we will promise you that we're not going to be perfect all the time you repent, you ask God to forgive you you get up, dust yourself off and you get back in the horse I will watch you the game with the eagles when the quarterback fumbled the ball and gave the, uh, the, the Chiefs a touchdown, what did the coach do the very next play, the very next series, series of plays, he sends the quarterback in and he gives him the ball and tells him to throw it. You fall off the horse, they put you right back on it. Immediately. You mess up, you sin, you say the wrong thing, you're going to cut somebody out. Ask God to forgive you. Ask the person to forgive you, whether the person forgives you or not. Can't control that. And at that point on, you dust yourself off and you get back on the horse and you keep on going. Just keep moving. Learn from the mistake and keep moving. Every experience is a teachable moment. It's a learning experience. If you don't do these things, you're not going to survive in church. You're going to become a basket case. But I have learned to not take myself so seriously. I've learned to get over myself. Not that important. What's important is the mission of God and accomplishing what God has called us to do. And we don't have time to worry about people's opinions and their point of view because they disagree. Can't do it. You just got to keep it moving. I try to keep an open mind. If somebody disagrees with me, I try to keep an open mind. and, and try. I will give an honest hearing. I will do that. I will give you an honest hearing but if I don't get it please don't think that I'm not trying I'm trying but if I don't get it I don't get it and maybe a while for me later on it'll it'll register in my mind I'm like oh that's what he was saying Thank you for listening to this edition of the sword in the spirit again the study wasn't exhaustive i just wanted to share some things that i've learned in life through the years hopefully it is a blessing to you thank you for all those of you who listen to the sword in the spirit and i appreciate uh, those of you who help financially as well as through prayer i value both equally so I thank God for that. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at rhyd1, 2001, 2001 sorry, move away from the mic, at gmail.com. And you can hear this podcast, uh, I'm now on iHeartRadio, so uh, that's one of the places that you can pick up the podcast. I am also on other platforms, and I'm going to give them to you now. You can hear me on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Web Browser, Apple Podcasts. And as I said, also, you can hear me now on iHeartRadio, Added to that as well. And I thank God, because we're growing. We have an audience, obviously, in the United States, Australia, Japan, Canada, Switzerland, Sweden, Italy, Puerto Rico, Cambodia, Belgium, New Zealand, Norway, Nigeria, Estonia, Portugal, and we just added Indonesia uh, not too long ago. So, God is helping us. We're progressing, and we're just trying to share the gospel and things that will help people. And again, the purpose of this is not so much even about being right. It's about creating conversations. The, The one thing we don't I think the greatest lack in the body of Christ is that we're afraid to have conversations. And then when we do have conversations, it it, it doesn't have to end in a shouting match or disfellowship or whatever. Uh, We need to be able to talk with each other and ask questions rationally and not feel that somebody's trying to overthrow us or not feel that uh, it's not about converting you to thinking the way that I think, but putting it out there putting some thoughts, and then say, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about this and look at the scriptures together. And I want to hear what you have to say. Hopefully you want to hear what I have to say. And then somewhere we may meet in the middle. We may reach an impasse. And that's okay too. But uh, we need to have a conversation so that we're, we're very certain about what we're talking about and what we're doing as believers. So God bless you and thank you for listening to this Sword in the Spirit. And continue to listen and like and share it, please. Whenever you get a chance, if you can pass it on to someone, uh, by all means, uh, share it with them. And hopefully it'll be a blessing to them as well. God bless you and thank you.